The last couple episodes of Living the Faith, I've been talking a lot about what it's like to either have to live without a church or in opposition to your church. This trend continues and the theme continues in this week's Living the Faith episode where we're going to talk about the Catholic procession of hearts that just occurred this past weekend in Atlanta, Georgia. And what is so precipitously missing, so obviously missing, so stunning that no priests, no bishops, nobody would actually show up to process in Atlanta to reclaim that city. We're going to talk to one of the founders today of that movement, and we're going to unpack exactly what happened and how we can spread this beautiful devotion to other cities around the country. Living the Faith Podcast, brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. This is the Living the Faith Show, brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. Mike here, alone in studio today, but joined via Skype with Justin Haggerty. I'm bringing in right now. If you like this content, uh, hey, how are you? Uh, please give the video a like, uh, share it, and subscribe. And also consider becoming a patron. It is only through the patronage of our small group of select patrons that I can continue doing this. Justin. Mission accomplished. Yes, thanks. Good evening. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So what we just witnessed, uh, I, th- I think I saw you. I recognized you in the uh, red tie carrying Our Lady, basically, yes. on your back. It's pretty incredible. Uh, well, behind you. Behind me. Um, like I just had two arms on it, and we we two-timed that, that one, and uh, that was definitely glorious. It was the first procession I've ever partook in terms of carrying statues and so that was uh that was a great moment carrying our lady through uh through one of the downtown parks in atlanta processions are really one of the uh, public displays of our ancient faith they used to be much more common especially in what we commonly refer to as christendom uh you know the middle ages in europe but 
they're less common today, and particularly in the United States, you don't hear about them much. They aren't they they aren't necessarily something that play like a central role in the expression of our faith. And um, I have my own theories for why that might be, but I without prepping you for any questions or topics I was going to throw your way, Justin, I wonder if you have a thought on that. Um, it's definitely a product of modernism. Uh, if you look at any nation uh, or any culture that has started to embrace um, Freemasonry or liberalism and eventually modernism, uh, it's the the plan to put God in indoors. Don't don't bring God in public. That's something that with their notion of freedom of religion that anyone can practice. Don't bring in public. You can practice what you want behind closed doors. Keep God in your church or in your home. And that definitely bled into changing the opinions of the church and our leaders. And so our church has kind of accepted that instead of, uh, being an opponent of that kind of thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think uh, you're absolutely right. It, it is Freemasonic ultimately, which has manifested itself in the United States as multiculturalism and pluralism. And you know, you you can you can worship whatever god you'd like in in the privacy of your own home, but it, it, but God is to be banished from the public square. I also think it's uniquely an Americanist thing uh, here, where you know the heresy, stated heresy of Americanism condemned by the popes in the early 1900s. Um, this, the heresy of Americanism is that, you know, we, we really want to fit in with America. We want to, and, and we want to blend a bunch of cultures. And in order to do that, you know, we have to sort of shed any, um, any evidence that we are Catholic, especially in the public square. Some people say that the Second Vatican Council was really just the enshrinement of, a, of the Americanist heresy <laughs> across the, the church at large. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I personally think about that, but that's that. That's it's definitely an interesting opinion. It definitely is, and you and you can see where, if you follow uh, or read into the history of the revolution in France and uh, other failed attempts, like in Mexico, and even if you look at what the Bolsheviks did in Saint Petersburg and Moscow, um, it wasn't enough to then just remove God and keep him inside. Uh, eventually, the the fact that a church is standing was enough to say it's egregious. So a remembrance of a religion that is contrary to their uh, heresy, and that then eventually that church needs to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the priests you can't wear cassocks in public; they need to go. So any remembrance of cr- Christianity or Christian virtue needs to be either. Um, removed or or changed in a way that it then favors them. And so they adopt the things that they like and then get rid of everything else. Um, the We're thankful, obviously, if you've read, especially one of the greatest stories that I've read recently, um, and I know I talked about this last time when I was on, and Chris uh, Chris Vincent, when um, Bishop Athanasius Snyder was just talking about his family and what they went through mm-hmm. in the Soviet Union and how they were able to maintain the faith at home. Pray to God or thanks be to God that the Soviet Union was not entirely successful in being able to squash the faith um, and that there were families throughout Europe in the 
Iron Curtain and then in, in Russia that we're able to keep the faith. Yeah, no no kidding. And that's that's the first few chapters of his book in which he really describes in detail the fact that, you know, like his family, I mean, Athanasius Schneider's family grew up like working in the gulags, okay, in Soviet Russia. Um, I mean, his his parents passed down the catechism of the Catholic Church via verbal tradition, verbal tradition. I mean, this isn't like, you know, your Baltimore Catechism book dumbed down for kids with illustrations and you just fill in the blanks and, and you know, choose from, from uh, multiple choice. This is while you're, while you're cutting down timber for the communists, uh, for, for the centrally planned government, which is coming soon to a United States near you, in negative, you know, 50 degrees, and you're living on a piece of bread that you have to uh, sort of save all day because that's all you're going to get. You're passing down the catechism verbally. <laughs> I mean, these people are hard. This is this is the type of person that really just does not really exist anymore in in America. We're soft, man. And I mean, not just that, but risking their lives to travel very, very long distances when it was prohibited to travel um, and, and at risk being stopped and incarcerated and, and also hiding priests in their homes or in their neighbors' homes mm-hmm. and then joining together for mass once a year. And that priest leaving one host of the Blessed Sacrament behind just so that, for adoration weekly um, and the way that, and just the reverence that they took having it in a white envelope, using white gloves to take it out, um, and then consuming it once, like nine months, waiting nine months to, to, to receive communion, and then knowing that in three months, hopefully that priest is back again, risking his life to, to then visit that community. Um, those are extraordinary circumstances. And um, it's not like the the extraordinary circumstances that the church claims today for Eucharistic ministers and everything else, and the changing of the liturgy. That is a true extraordinary circumstance. Yeah. Uh, when priests are dying, and you could probably count them um, by name because there's so few left in that country. Yeah. So that's what those people were dealing with, and we need to, as men and as families, as Catholics in this country— we need to work together to make sure that that does not come to the United States. Yeah, I mean, and uh, I, the last couple uh, episodes uh, for this particular podcast, I talked a little bit about Franz Jägerstatter, who had to oppose the Nazis, and in order for him to oppose the Nazis, he had to oppose his parish priests and his bishop. His bishop commanded him to be loyal to the Nazis and to swear the oath to Hitler Um, And then right after that, I did a podcast about uh, the Catholics of Nagasaki who were initially converted by the Jesuits back before the Jesuits were a great cause of evil and harm in the world. And um, and that for 250 years after the Shogun kicked, uh, expelled all all the Europeans um, from the island and then suppressed the one true faith, killed every single priest. For 250 years, they had no priests. And yet the faith was faithfully transmitted from generation to generation. Eight or nine generations received the faith. Um, so the theme of the last two podcasts, and it sounds like the theme of this one as well, is going to be how do we operate in an environment in which we either, uh, uh, on, on the one hand, we have 
the we have no church backing us up, right? We have the the church that melted away because of COVID nineteen eighty four. Or in the worst case scenario, like with Blessed Franz Jägerstatter, uh, you have the church positively commanding you to do something that is gravely evil. Like, for example, you know, S.J. Jimmy Martin, who's speaking this week at the Democratic National Convention and promoting an agenda that is absolutely anti-family, anti-child, and and extraordinarily evil— and something that is so wicked, I, if I say it here on the podcast, the, uh, the, the Russian bots that run YouTube will shut down the, uh, you know, the show or whatever. But I think we all know what, what SJ, uh, what his agenda is. Here you have something that you were plotting in Atlanta, something beautiful, something objectively good, and something that is um, injustice due to God. He is due public reverence, especially on the, on the great feasts, uh, such as the Assumption of his mother, Our Lady, Queen of Heaven. And um, I couldn't help but notice, Justin, that as I was reviewing the footage that you and others had sent over, I didn't see any priests. I didn't see any cassocks. I didn't see any seminarians. I didn't see our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. I saw, I saw you, and I saw a bunch of men and women. What happened? Yeah, so, I mean, we had a good turnout for the first time, just under 100, and I think the rain had a little bit to do with it, along with some other hurdles that we jumped through in the week. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have any clergy. Uh, I know a couple, at least one deacon had preached out saying that he was hoping to be there. Um, that was not able to happen. Although some some priests shared it with their parishes, they were reluctant to, to join us. Um Bishop Schlesinger, one of the auxiliaries, did reach out and say that uh, he was on retreat and he wasn't able to attend. Uh, one of the uh, senior assistants to the archbishop uh, had responded to us and said that that didn't work out. Regretfully, didn't work out in their schedule, but they'd be praying for us. Uh, we're just hoping, we're praying that we can keep working with them. I know the chancery is fully aware. I've had a couple of staff members reach out to me and say that they're very excited about what's going on, one of which actually attended the procession. The vicar, um, I, I wish I could remember his name, uh, the priest, he's uh, he's excited about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm definitely going to, we plan to have another procession on All Saints Day, November 1st. It's on a Sunday, so it works out perfectly, especially right before the election. Just another chance to get Catholics together, get in public, um, proceed through the park, uh, pray the Holy Rosary. Hopefully we have many more uh, faithful that join us carrying their confirmation saints. That's what I'm going to ask people to do. And um, and hopefully we do get clergy this time. I'm going to ask again for the Archbishop's blessing and uh, for them to get behind it and participate. And if not, if they're not able to, at least to appoint a spiritual father to work with us so that we can have that guidance and someone to work through, work with that's associated with or affiliated with the Archdiocese. Um, and then we can have something to build on. All Saints Day, we're, we're even talking about uh, the Immaculate Conception. Even though it's on a Tuesday, maybe within the octave, maybe the following Saturday. Um, but that's definitely what we're talking about. And hopefully... As we can speak about this more and keep getting the word out, get other cities to join us. Um, I know there's some some gentlemen that I know that are in Louisiana that are interested, Virginia. Um, I know there's great things going on up in Wisconsin and and 
So hopefully we can get more Catholics across the country to join us and continue to consecrate their cities and states to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, Justin Haggerty joining us from Atlanta. You are one of the founders or, if, or the founder of Catholic Profe Procession of Hearts. One of them, yes. And um, I, don't, I don't necessarily mean to blindside you. I'm very grateful that you're joining uh, this podcast, but... Uh, I've been told that um, that your archbishop there in Atlanta uh, not only declined to support, but actually sent out an email um, suppressing the procession of hearts. I mean, what by what possible justification could he have done that? Uh, I think there was definitely some disinformation going on within the archdiocese, unfortunately. Um, and when I was speaking for or asking for guidance from my my confessor, um, the best way that I could explain it and from for him and I to agree on was just the smoke of Satan, just trying to muddy the waters and try to make things not as clear, and to lead people astray and to try to get as many Catholics not to attend as possible and, and maybe even have it canceled. Um, we, in the very beginning, we sent letters to the Archdiocese asking for um, their blessing, their support, and participation between between the Archbishop himself, Archbishop Hartmeyer, and then also the two auxiliaries. Um, it wasn't until last Monday, so you're talking about five, six days before the procession, we did get an email from his uh, senior assistant. And it was very clear, saying that, hey, we received the uh, the invitation, thank you, Regretfully, we can't attend due to scheduling, but uh, we'll be praying for you. Okay. And the next, the following day, uh, there was an email that got sent out, a memo that was contrary to that. And it was to anyone who subscribes to the archbishop, I believe, uh, priests, deacons, maybe organization leaders, etc. It got forwarded to, to us by some members and grand knights of Knights of Columbus from different councils. I know a priest and a deacon that sent it to me. And it said that uh, a group that was organizing the procession of hearts uh, was not in communion with the Roman Catholic Church and that the procession is not affiliated or endorsed by the Archdiocese, which is true, that that's true, um, or endorsed or by the Roman Catholic Church, that's true. Um, it also said, just reaffirmed that, hey, it's not, uh, it's not affiliated with any parish or the archdiocese. So, so let me get this straight. The archbishop went out of his way to separate himself from a, from a procession of Our Lady and Our Lord on the Feast of the Assumption on August 15th. He went out of his way to separate himself, say that what you were doing was not Catholic, it was not associated with the archdiocese, and whereas the day prior he had said, oh, I would love to attend, except I just can't possibly make, make it work in my schedule. Then the very next day he goes out of his way to suppress it. Although he did say that, um, that they, although they accept and uh, prayer for the church, he made it clear that it wasn't an affiliation. So uh, one aspect, and, and I don't want to try to speculate, but one aspect Maybe they were afraid of what could happen there with everything that's going on in our society. I know there was a lot of Antifa and a lot of um, 
tension and violence that was surrounding Stone Mountain that day. Mm -hmm. and, and so maybe they were just preparing themselves for the worst. Um, I know that there was a rumor going around that the SSPX itself was organizing the, the procession, which was false because every, every press release, every article, like when the Remnant posted the, the press release, the article from 1 Peter 5, um, my interview with you, all of our social media, everything was same from the beginning that this is organized by lay Catholics from across the, the uh, archdiocese, many different parishes. So there was no one group. And I think, uh, like I said, the best way I can explain is the smoke was saying was trying to just trying to disrupt as much as possible. And perhaps bad information got to his office after they knew that they sent that email to us and they had to fix it. Um, what we did was, out of, you know, still being respectful, we asked for clarification because uh, we said, hey, no group is behind this. And does that mean that we're excommunicated or are the participants excommunicated? What does this actually mean? Um, and we, we begged him to, uh, to recant just because of the, the irreparable harm that could be made to someone's reputation and also the mental and spiritual harm that could, that could come from that. Mm -hmm. um, and so by the great God, two days later on Thursday, that it was recanted. We sent out another memo to everybody, at least those who are subscribers and and parish priests, etc., that uh, that they were that the original memo was error was an error, and that they uh, clarified and that the the, or, the procession that is organized by lay Catholics in good standing with the church. So I was I was absolutely thrilled by that. Very thankful. Um, we sent a we sent an email back thanking them very much for clarifying and recanting, um, and then that's when I got the letter from Bishop Schlesinger saying that same thing, praying for it. But I'm at a retreat; I can't attend. Uh, and then we had the procession on Saturday. I mean, look, you and I know that um, that the church is not a democracy, and neither my bishop nor your archbishop have to do what we want them to do. Uh, and if they don't want to do a procession on the Feast of the Assumption, they don't have to, right? So it, I, I fully recognize that, and I acknowledge that. I would just have to wonder out loud, when you see um, Catholic bishops and prelates around the country uh, solemnizing uh, disordered marriages, praying with Anglicans and in non-Catholic churches, conducting... Uh, you know, interreligious prayer services and whatnot. Where is the condemnation from either your archbishop in Atlanta or from any of them to say those people are not in communion with the Catholic Church? Those people are not Catholic. They don't represent the Catholic Church. They don't represent my diocese. They don't represent. You know what I mean? Like we, you never see them condemning interreligious and so-called ecumenical stuff. But then when conservative Catholics want to rise up and do something out of justice to almighty God, they go out of their way to condemn it and say it's not Catholic. Yeah, no, I agree. And I got to try to be as uh, understanding as possible um, because I got to, I got to try to relate to, the way I myself look at sin, and yet I still continue to sin. So sometimes it's not as easy as that. I know that a lot of these good priests and and good bishops are are outnumbered, 
and surrounded by the enemy, both spiritually and also temporally, temporal enemies. Um, and, the, and the church, just like our society, is full of them. And yeah, well, there's no doubt that your archbishop is literally surrounded by the enemy, considering who his predecessor was. Uh, and I think everyone can piece that together. Um, <laughs> in fact, I'm surprised that Archbishop Gregory is not speaking at the DNC. In fact, I'm surprised he's not running for for the for the, the Democratic nomination for some office at this point. Um, so yeah, no, you're right. And look, Justin is. I appreciate how level-headed and magnanimous you're being. Um, you, clearly, you're not you're not you're not here to 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 um, with with an axe to grind against your archbishop and and you do hope to work with him again in the future and i certainly appreciate that i just can't help but but step back and and uh and really wonder out loud at 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 the overall situation that you have here this this unprecedented um crisis in the church you know the, the total utter collapse of the faith in the west lack of vocations um no baptisms you have bishops around the world bragging that they're not baptizing natives uh, in, in uh, missionary territories like in the Amazon and Brazil. So you have the, the church shrinking, a church in decline. There's one diocese in, in Germany, uh, actually in the, in the, where Stuttgart, uh, Germany is, a big uh, manufacturing area uh, where, they make, uh, where, where they make BMWs and Mercedes-Benz. Um, they're, they're, they have a 97% reduction in total number of parishes. They're going from like, you know, a thousand down to 40 or 30. Um, so they're going to have some super parishes. So you have churches in, in collapse around the world. Um, and yet what you propose to do is to do something that is, is rendering, uh, religion to God, which is, which is rendering to God his due. It's justice. And um, and to do something that is truly Catholic and that speaks to our Catholic roots, and um, and it gets it gets suppressed. Uh, although he took it back, it sounds like uh, later on, I think the damage was done. And and most most people can read in between the lines. If if my bishop comes out and suppresses something, and then a few days later says, "Oh, just kidding. I may have been wrong. I'm not so sure." Um, you know, I. <laughs> You really have to be a discerning Catholic to figure out what what's actually happening. No, I agree, and uh, so we're definitely at the at the moment um, in our church and in our society where we have to choose: do we fight or do we kind of go back to the catacombs? And I know a lot of Catholic community. I hinted it. I hinted in it the article that I uh, that I wrote in one Peter five that. A lot of Catholic communities right now are kind of debating that. You know, what do we do? Do we stand up? Do we be very vocal? Do we do something like like we're doing, organize a procession um, against contrary to everything that's going on in society? Or do we just stay silent? Stay silent, hunker down, pray, and recede back into the catacombs. Go hide in our, our Catholic communities or build Catholic communities like you see in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, or, or St. Mary's, Kansas. And try to just leave the city. Just let okay, let the heathens have the cities. Rome has fallen, um, and just go hide in our own little mountain fortresses. Um, I'm not ready to give up on, and I don't want to, especially for a country that I served for, I and and was willing to lay my my lay down my life for. Um, same thing goes for the church, and I am not willing to to surrender or pull out the white flag yet. 
And I know a lot of other Catholics are. So well, I think a lot of people still have a lot of fight left in them. And, and you know, just to react to your point, I kind of think it's both and. It doesn't have to be an either or. I, th- I do think that, you know, the so-called Benedict option uh, and, and pr- you know, the recreation of, of monastic uh, communities and monastic lifestyle is a great thing. Um, and we need to have that. We need to have more of that. And then I'm sure if Brother Martin is is uh, listening right now, he's probably like, yes, Mike, say more of that. But we also have to have, like, you know, we have to be have men who are willing to stand up and fight and die for the faith. And, and fulfill, um, our, fulfill our oaths of our confirmation, defend the church. That's right. And, you you know, you, you, were, you were so gracious to give your archbishop an out and say, well, you know, he might have been afraid of Antifa and, you know, what if they what if they attacked the procession and then maybe there's liability to the archdiocese because it's a sanctioned event where a Catholic got hurt at because of because of an Antifa thug or whatever. We shouldn't be governed by the whims of Antifa. Are you kidding me? I mean, sorry, I'm not I'm not I'm obviously not arguing with you. I'm just saying if that really is, you know, the, the mindset of some of these guys, and I think it is. I well, it definitely the, is. I mean, I mean that's the other goal that's been going on since the '70s, is to pacify uh, males and, and to this whole idea of toxic masculinity. That's just to get us to where we're less inclined to defend the things that are ours, mm-hmm. so that then when they get rid of property and our dignity and our virtues and everything else, they'll just come in and take them. Because now we've been pacified, we're not going to we're not going to stand up. Um, but I mean. Everything we do, and I, and I more and more every day, I think that uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen was right that when the church is um, saved or when it's defended, it's not going to be by cardinals, it's not going to be by bishops and priests, it's going to be by the lay. It is up to us to defend the church. Um, and if if good priests and good bishops are going to wait around to have that kind of support, then it's on us. It's on us to to organize these processions and and to to pretty much give it to them on a silver platter. Here you go. We're doing all the legwork. Just join us, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. that's what's going to have. If that's what it's going to have to take, well, then sign me up. Right, right, and that sort of uh, that sort of almost naturally leads into a discussion about you know the one of the big catchphrase words that I talk about um, every now and then on this podcast is this catchphrase that everyone calls obedience. And they say, well, you know, you, you, you have to render obedience to your bishop in all things but sin. And that is, that is a good starting point for f- trying to figure out exactly, you know, what you, what, how far you have to obey your bishop uh, when, he, when he says something. Like, for example, if he were to, forbid you guys in Atlanta from doing the procession, I have a hunch that you would have done it anyway because you are obedient to a higher authority than him, which is rendering due justice to Almighty God on the splendid feast of the Assumption of Our Lady. I mean, it's even St. Thomas More, and I, I might mess up the, the quote, but when, when he was, uh, I guess, at trial, um, he said, although you have all these cardinals and bishops and the king himself against me, I have, I have all the doctors of the church, all the saints, all the apostles, and Christ himself on my side. Uh, and that's kind of 
though heaven is very few in number, um, and those who have been blessed to be able to step through those gates, uh, they outnumber and are far more power by the grace of God than the temporal leaders that we have here on earth. Mm -hmm. And always remember that. United with your heart and, and your prayers with theirs, um, you are you have so much support behind you, and you have God at your back. Um, and so always remember that in any battle that you that you face. No one who's watching this podcast on YouTube or uh, or on Facebook um, or wherever they're consuming this podcast uh, via audio, no one would be surprised with the notion or disagree with the proposition that the fact of the matter is that the Episcopate in the United States has completely lost its spine. They've lost their nerve. They don't have the will to fight. They don't have the intestinal fortitude to carry on. They don't have what it takes to stand up to uh, heretic, pol uh, wicked politicians. They don't have what it takes to speak truth to power. And they are not they are absolutely not willing to accept any level of risk, um, which they now perceive COVID-1984 to be some risk where if somebody coughs on you in church, then you could sue the church and everyone's so cash-strapped from paying off the sexual abuse scandals that, uh, you know, they don't have anything, you know, to left to settle this, you know, this supposed liability with. And so my contention is that, that the accountant, and I say this as an accountant, okay, the, the pencil neck accountants and the risk averse attorneys are running the diocese. That's 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 what that's what's driving policy in America. It's not spiritual. It's not a it's not a spirit of evangelization. It's certainly not the new springtime in the church, whatever the heck that means. Uh, none of that is happening. The only thing that they're trying to do is not be the last ordinary before a diocese or archdiocese goes kaput. You don't want to be the last no. guy standing. You don't want to be the guy holding the bag. You don't want to be remembered as the guy that closed up shop in a dying, bankrupt, dead diocese. So let's just rearrange the deck chairs on the on the uh, Titanic. Um, does that sound like strong words to you, Justin? No, and, and they'd have to be absolutely naive to not know that that's where we're heading. I mean, when you see certain polls of... You know, one out of one out of ten Americans walking around is an ex-Catholic, and only um, maybe you know seventy-five percent of of Catholics believe in in the real presence of our Lord and in the Holy Eucharist, and that's that's just uh, that's just churchgoers. Oh, I think I think the number is 20, 20 to 25 percent of churchgoers. It's like one in five, even four out of five of the people that actually show up don't even believe in anything. They're genuflecting before something that they don't even believe. They're committing an act of idolatry, really, because they're genuflecting before something that they don't even pr yeah. consider to be, you know, the, the actual body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, it's not idolatry because whether or not they think it is it objectively is so they should be genuflecting but imagine genuflecting before something that's you don't e like you don't even believe it is what it claims to be it's kind of like just, you just understand in your knowledge you just understand it or actually believe it as just bread 
Yeah. It's just idolatry. Right. And 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 without the Holy Eucharist, like, what's the, you know, there's there's no Catholic Church. I mean, that is the crown jewel in the crown, you know? Like, yes, that is. Without the Eucharist, there's no reason to be at church. Period. There's um, no sacrifice. There's no mass. There's all the no liturgy sacrifice. doesn't matter. <laughs> it's yeah. it's a dry. It's you know it's 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 it, it essentially becomes the Jewish religion, which is a dead religion. It's a dry religion. Uh, yes, there no is they, they, no more right. There's no there's no pleasing sacrifice rendered to God by by anything that that the that Jews do. And there, there's no temple. There's no sacrifice. It's been it's all been rented. It was it was torn down exactly one generation after our Lord walked on the planet, just like He said it would be. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the stars will sc- fall from the sky, etc. So that's that's what we're that's where we would be without the Eucharist. We would have a dry, dead, false religion. Which is what it's turning into. I mean, most parishes are dying off. There's no, you don't hear any crying babies, mm-hmm. uh, no millennials. You don't see any young folks in, or young couples because they're not even getting married until their mid-30s anyway. Um, most parishes well, are they dying. Have to, they have Schools to are closing. Schools are figure empty. out their lives, you know. I mean, if, you, if you're a Bernie voter and then Obama puts you on your parents' Uh, you know, healthcare until you're 26 or 28 years old or whatever. I mean, it's like never, never land. We got the we've got the Peter Pan generation just just behind us, Justin, and probably many of us too. Yep. No, I agree. And um, I would, for those who are really questioning kind of the battles and and the arguments for where our church is right now, especially as the faith, the supernatural faith. Um, uh, really declines in, in our church. I would encourage everybody to go out and find books of those priests, those um, prelates, bishops, etc. that that were alive during the Counter Reformation and the way that they argued for the faith and presented the the all the te- teachings of the Catholic Church forward uh, on why mm-hmm. our faith is the one true faith and and argued for everything. Um, from the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, the Holy Eucharist, um, the liturgy of, of the canon of the Mass, etc. So that's what I would. Some of my favorite books are are from those from those years and from those those trials of of repelling Protestantism, and uh, from books from like Saint Robert Bellarmine, um, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Some of the best information that I've ever read. Or the Catholic Church, other than the Bible itself, it's from of our some of our early church fathers, like Saint Justin Martyr, Saint Augustine. Some of the best writings are from that era, the Counter Reformation. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, and that just sort of proves the point that um, every now and then the church does need to be chastised in order to prune it. And um, you know, notwithstanding the fact that I guess starting when roughly Christmas of 800 with the crowning of Charlemagne of Holy, as Holy Roman Emperor. And for hundreds of years thereafter, most of Europe practiced the faith and was known generally as Christendom. Uh, but with the advent of, of secular humanism and, uh, and subsequently the, the other false philosophies which dominoed uh, uh, into effect, and beginning with Descartes and then finally ending with modernism, the, synth- the, uh, the synthesis of all heresies, um, we are now in another period of chastisement, but it is those periods of chastisement, like the English martyrs um, under, you know, under Queen Elizabeth, uh, or, or or like the Japanese Catholics under the Shogun, or 
like the early Catholics uh, underneath the, the Roman Caesars, the greatest saints emerge in the, in, the, in the darkest of times. So I guess one thing that we can count on is that we are going to have uh, great saints in this time, uh, which, which seems to be a dark time and, and only getting darker. I, th- I would say, Justin, one thing that we could and should do, and I, and I need to acknowledge uh, on this show right now, which I, I acknowledge all the time, but I haven't acknowledged so far on this podcast, there are really great priests out there, and they're not—they're not just onesies and twosies. There are great priests all across this land, all across America, committed, ready to die for the faith, teach the truth, administer the sacraments faithfully, believe what the church teaches, um, uh, teaches, etc. And we have to hold—we have to pray for these priests because I think you already—you said it best. They're surrounded. Usually, they're in situations where. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of danger around them. You know, usually they're they're suppressed or oppressed by their ordinaries or by other other nefarious forces that are operating. You know, within the within the deep church, so to speak, within the chanceries. Um, a lot of times they are under constant threat and surveillance from you know liberal Catholics from around the diocese who are infiltrating their parishes and recording what they're saying and just looking for any gotcha moments. So it's hard for these guys. It's hard. I mean, how do you equip someone to go behind enemy lines and 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 operate? All I can say is that as us as fathers, um, our first battle is definitely in the home. You have to defeat modernism in the home and and model your family as close to the holy family as possible. Model model your home and the way you conduct yourselves in your home as close to the church itself and. Once you have a, a group of strong men um, and families in a parish, you can turn a, you can change a parish. You can give that priest the, the, finally the support that he needs to add reverence back to that parish and to and to defeat modernism there, um, and then give him the, the the kind of support and both spiritually and temporally to to stand against what other external enemies he has, um, that being the chancery or or et cetera, the news, and and then a group of parishes, strong Catholic parishes, can then change a diocese. And then a, a good network of strong Catholic dioceses can change the country. And that's the kind of mindset that we have to go focus on your home, then your parish, and then start changing our church um, back to the way that it once was, that from the, the saints that we descend from, uh, in Christendom to to be to put God just the way we started this this talk um, to bring God back into the public square um, and proclaim the the faith from the rooftops. Don't hide your lamp. Uh, let it shine. Let it shine so others can see your faith and uh, and praise God so that everyone else can know the one true faith because they may have never they might be completely ignorant from it based off their upbringing and, and also the lack of leadership from our church um, because our church doesn't really proclaim the faith that much anymore. Um, but that's, I think that's the way we need to go about it. That's good advice, Justin. Until Christ is the king of your heart and your family and your hearth, he cannot be king of your land. Uh, 
so that's that's um, that's that's sound advice. Uh, okay, Justin, uh, for those who want to be involved and follow you and your efforts and uh, and and mimic what you're doing in Atlanta and carry this movement on to other cities. The Catholic Procession of Hearts. There's a there's a Facebook group, right? There's a Facebook page, Catholic Procession of Hearts. How else can we find you? So yeah, so we have a Facebook page, Procession of Hearts, and then there's the group, Catholic Procession of Hearts. We'll be uploading the the event for All Saints Day, at least the one in Atlanta, um, here shortly. And you can also um, we also have a Twitter a Twitter account, Procession of Hearts. Um, don't have a website yet, so just find us on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, but you just want to get in contact with us, our Gmail is processionofhearts at gmail.com. Um, reach out to us if you want to volunteer. Reach out to us if you're in another city and you want to work with us on organizing a procession. Uh, please do. I pray that you will, and I pray that the Lord will, that will guide you in that endeavor to join us, because I think we all need to work together. Um, on consecrating our, our cities and our states to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I think All Saints Day is the next great opportunity that we have as Catholics to to gather in prayer um, and also unite ourselves not only with the Immaculate and Sacred Heart, uh, but also with all the saints and the choirs of angels. Um, so, like I said, go to Facebook, Procession of Hearts, and um, keep a lookout for all our future updates and uh, please pray for us. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on what you've built so far, Justin. It's, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. And I really would like to have you back uh, before All Saints Day so we can talk about the progress in Atlanta and, God willing, the franchises that you will have set up um, around the country uh, from, from, from those efforts. I will post a link to the show notes. So if you didn't catch everything Justin just said on the Facebook group, the Facebook page, the Twitter handle, and the Gmail. All four of those things will be in the notes uh, on YouTube, so you can check those out. And uh, we're praying for you, Justin. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, if you like this content, I really would appreciate it if you could like the video. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We're about to hit 5,000 subscribers on YouTube, and when that happens, uh, YouTube will not send me a T-shirt. But I wish they would, and I might make my own T-shirt. But I've got, a, I've got a couple other great uh, announcements coming your way. Stand by for those. Thank you so much. This is the Living the Face Show. God bless you. Please subscribe. Consider becoming a patron. And most of all, pray for us. Living the Faith Podcast. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. Restoringthefaith.com.